Hi. Welcome back to It's All Relative. I saw a very interesting um, video on YouTube, and I'm going to play uh, uh, some pieces of it for you. It's interesting because I did the uh, last episode talking about soul ties, and then I ran across this video uh, of a young lady who was uh, also talking about it, but in her opinion, soul ties are a scam. So I'm going to let you hear a, a little bit of her conversation. She's being interviewed by uh, another gentleman. So take a listen. Doctrine in Pentecostal and Apostolic and Holiness denomination. No more sheets and Juanita Bynum really brought that kind that soul tie theology and conversation to a much more mainstream group, right? Much more mainstream idea through through the No More Sheets sermon. Um, but she doesn't get that credit, right? So yeah. so the reason why I say that soul types are a scam is because so on one level, you get all of these scriptures that people tell you are them are biblically explaining what soul ties are, but there's only one scripture. There's only one text that specifically says in scripture that two souls were knit together, two souls were tied together. And that's talking about the relationship between David and Jonathan. Like that's first Samuel eight, the 18th chapter or something like that, where, where it literally says, and their souls were knit together. It's ironic that when we talk about soul ties, that text is never brought up, right? Because if you want to have conversations about soul ties and you have then trouble what you think soul ties means in relation to that text and in relation to what you thought about David and Jonathan and in relation to what you're talking about with sexuality. So that's on one hand, right? The next part... Okay, so she's comparing no more sheets with with Juanita Bynum, which Juanita Bynum was describing sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. She was discussing uh, promiscuity, uh, going from one man to the other, being um, sexually uh, um, active with a number of men who were not her husband. Now, I'm not sure why this young lady decided to choose Jonathan and David, seeing as how that is not even the same relationship. Jonathan and David were two men, number one. David loved women, number two. The Bible doesn't say that their souls were knit together. The Bible says that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. What David and Jonathan had was a rapport. They were like-minded. Jonathan's father was trying to kill David. Jonathan saw something in David maybe he could identify with David. And because of that reason, he tried to help him. He decided, I'm not going to let my father kill this young man because I care for him. I believe he's a good person. And not only that, he could see that David would be great one day. He made an oath with David that once David became great and came into his greatness, that he would remember him and remember their family. So I'm not sure why she chose to use those two because it's not a good example and it's not the same thing. So we'll go to the next thing. Is that you don't have any biblical justification for this idea 
that when you have sex with one person, a piece of their soul <laughs> comes and a piece of their soul go, and that you walk around with all these souls in you, right? Mm-hmm. And depending on the pastor that you get changes the the outcome, right? So like I've had pastors who told me there are some soul ties that absolutely cannot be broken, right? Mm-hmm. So when I hear that, you're actually telling me that there is something that the blood of Jesus cannot do. Okay. So then she goes on to say that more than one spirit can inhabit one body. She said there are pieces uh, of, of other people's souls. We know that spirits transfer. That's how they go from house to house because they need a body. And when I say house to house, I'm referring to a body. There are transferences of spirits, which is all the soul tie is. It's a transfer of spirits between a man and a woman. Jesus, when he was addressing the, the subject of divorce with the Pharisees, he said to become one. He wasn't talking about physically. Obviously, we know we cannot become one physically again. Now, in the Garden of Eden, Adam was one. God saw fit to take Eve out of him. That separated him and made him two. Then in the act of marriage, in the consummation of it through sex, you become one again. You can only become one in the spirit because we know we cannot become one naturally. So, again, I believe that's an error that, that she's making when she says that. And the other thing is, when Jesus went to a town where a man was literally chained to a they put him in a cave they chained his hands they chained his feet because he was out of control acting crazy doing a lot of stuff uh uh, he was extremely strong every time they put the chains on him he was able to break them the bible said he would sit there and and yell and scream and and cut himself with stones so this man is damaging himself and apparently he's he's a danger to himself and everybody around him so they took him and they put him somewhere now jesus comes to this man and Jesus talks to the spirit that's in the man. He asks him, who are you? And the spirit answers, not the man, but the spirit in the man. And the spirit says, we are legions, plural. Now, the spirit is telling Jesus, we, there's some more of us in here. Now, she just said, you can't have pieces of, of, of different, uh, you know, a number of souls or different souls in there. Here is a man who's saying, or the spirit in him is saying, we're legions because we're many. Meaning this man had a number of spirits occupying his body. So yes, it is very possible. The other thing is it takes God to break a soul tie because it's a spiritual thing. So yeah, God can break a spiritual soul tie. I'm not sure she said some pastor told her that, you know, some some soul ties cannot be broken. That's not true. There's nothing that God cannot break in the spirit. Okay, let's go back. Come on, Candace Marie! Yeah! Like, look, still works. If you are literally telling me that there is a soul tie that cannot be broken, then you are telling me that there is something that is entirely too powerful for the most powerful source that we as Christians believe exists, which is the blood of Jesus, right? Yeah. And on top of that, 
what is that to say to sexual assault survivors, right? Do I've had some pastors say, oh no, a a soul tie doesn't form during sexual assault. And then the question becomes, so God can prevent the soul tie, but not the act itself, right? You know, like, so, so what does what does that say to me about a God that will keep me from having a soul tie, but didn't keep me from being molested or raped, right? You know? see there now she's she's judging God, saying, "Oh well, God, you know, can keep me from having a soul tie, but you can't keep me from being raped." There's a number of things that God allows in this earth, and it's because sin is in in the land. God didn't stop Cain from killing Abel. He didn't stop David from from taking Bathsheba and putting her husband on the front line, killing him. There's a lot of things that God does not interfere with simply because he gave man dominion over this earth. He made the earth subject to the will of men. Now, when we ask God to intervene, then he will. But the reason that tragedies happen and things evil happens is because sin is in the world. That's what brought it in. Adam and Eve in the beginning. So those are things that are going to happen. And the Bible said, you know, it rained on the just and it, rained on the, it rains on the just and the unjust. You know what I mean? The Bible said uh, a man that's born of a woman is a few days and in, in full of troubles. So tragedies happen. People get hurt. People get killed. Uh, and God will allow it. But God does not see death the way that we see death. And when a person's body is assaulted, and I've dealt with women who have been molested as children. Again, Juanita Bynum is describing a relationship between two adults. When an adult is having sex with a child, that's not a sexual bond because, number one, a child shouldn't be having sex. Children, uh, uh, they're not even ready for that type of stuff. They don't even understand that type of stuff. It's being they're being taken advantage of. Their body is being used as an object for somebody that's full of lust. It's a, a lust demon in effect and is using somebody's body. That's sexual assault. It's not the same thing as the soul tie that Juanita Bynum was talking about. Okay, let's go back. Now, what does it? What does that say to to people who? We're young and dumb, and we're experimenting and doing all of these things. It was a summer, man. It was, it was a hot summer. I, I was in the middle. I didn't even know about Jesus yet. I didn't even know about summer. You know what I'm saying? And so I think, I think what happens. Now, here she's saying, oh, well, young people should be excused because, you know, they're young. They don't know. They're being dumb. They were experimenting. And that may be true. But if you go in any court of law, ignorance is not an excuse. And the fact of the matter is, as parents, we should be teaching our children this stuff. We shouldn't be allowing the schools to teach them sexuality. We shouldn't be allowing the schools to dispense condoms to our children. We should be explaining to them the potency of sex. We should be explaining to them the bond that it creates between two people, which is why God put it in the boundaries of marriage, so they wouldn't be running around because it's a hot summer and jumping in and out of the bed with each other. But we don't take the time to teach our children that. Let's go back. 
when we have these conversations about soul ties, and I go back to my mom, who my mom passed in 2015, but she was, um, her specialty was mental health nursing. And so she was a Christian, but also, and also versed in mental health. And one of the things that was so, was hilarious when I would watch her do these kind of mental health and soul tie conversations, where when these women would be like, no, I got a soul tie, because when we broke up, I cried for three days, and every time I heard a song that made me think of him, I didn't eat, and I cried. She was like, that's not a soul tie. You just got your heart broke, you know? (laughs) Okay, let me jump in here with this real quick. When she's talking about the woman with her heart broke, that is true. Her heart is broken, but there is still a connection, which is why she is still grieving. Any type of loss, even if it's in a relationship, there is a grieving process because a, a lost relationship is, is similar to a death. It's a death of, of a relationship. You're mourning because you still, in your spirit, want that person. You've connected yourself to that person. It's just like a person uh, that dies uh, naturally. You're connected to that person and you feel the pain. That's the same thing. It's the same thing in the spirit. When that when that relationship is torn apart, that bond feels the pain. There's a tearing in there, and it's painful, and it's tormenting. And that's why some of these people, rather than live with the torment and pain, they try to stop it themselves. So they go and, and murder the person that, that they were with simply because they can't be with them anymore. When we look at these shows on television, there's a show for my man where women are hooking up with men and they're doing heinous crimes simply because, you know, oh, I'm with this guy. I've, I've, you know, shared my body with this guy. They're taking on a transference of spirits. The Bible says evil communications corrupt good manners. Communication is communication, whether it be sexual or over the telephone. A communication is two people interacting. So, Evil communications corrupt good manners. If you're communicating with someone in a relationship and having sex with them and you're bonded with them, then they could very well influence what you do. Let's go back. We over-spiritualize these things because we don't know what to do with sex, right? Um, From a biblical standpoint. Now, I do think that soul ties exist but not in the way that we're taught sexually. I personally think that the only soul tie that exists is parent to child. Um, Because if you think about it, that is the only relationship that literally can change the trajectory of our lives, right? These are the people that we share DNA with. When what, what they did for us, as children growing up, what they didn't do for us as children growing up forms who we are, right? Okay, now she's comparing the concept of what Juanita Bynum was saying in No More Sheets, which is a relationship between two adults, a sexual relationship. She's comparing it to a parent and a child, which is completely wrong. It's, It's... a completely different relationship. There are so many dynamics to relationship. There's so many facets. It's like a diamond. You have a number of, of different types of relationships. 
and a parent-child relationship is nothing, it shouldn't be anything close to the relationship that Juanita Bynum was discussing. Because number one, that would be incest. You don't bond with your child in a sexual way like that. We're talking about a sexual bond, not a natural bond or maternal bond between a parent and a child. Let's go back. I, I grew up hearing my mama say that more than what she was in the community, when she stood before God, God was going to ask her, what did you do with the talent that I gave you, with the gift I gave you? And she said that gift was me, right? That her, her responsibility as a parent was always going to trump anything else that she did. Mm. For me, when I think about it that way, that's a soul tie, right? Yeah. You know? And I, and I think that if we spent more time that is completely false. Your parent to you is not a soul tie. Your parent has a responsibility if you're born to them to take care of you and to do their best for you. And yes, true, you may be their biggest accomplishment, but that is not a soul tie. That is a bond between a parent and a child. Let's go back thinking through and it doesn't mean that we don't have conversations about sex it doesn't mean that we don't have conversations about healthy about healthy intimacy and what that looks like but it does mean that we don't need to keep trying to make scripture say something that that one scripture does not say and then say things that on the ground with people's lived experiences just falls flat okay hold that thought candace Stephen is challenging you, and I know in the comments when this goes public, this will be challenged as well. I'm sure you're prepared for this. I don't have the Bible memorized, so I'm going to read the scripture. Okay. It's not true, Candace. John 4, 16 through 18 implies soul ties. I don't know what that scripture says off the top of my head, so let me pull it up in the message version because I didn't go to seminary. <laughs> uh, and, you know, two games be confusing me. Uh, message version, he said, go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put, I have no husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. This is always how I imagine Jesus said it, because you know he knew, right? He would go call your husband. You know I ain't got no husband. Oh, no, you don't, do you? You had five husbands, haven't you? You spoke the truth. That's sure enough. Uh, oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worship God at this mountain, but you Jews, isn't that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? So this is the woman at the well. Amen. Right. What do you say to that, Candace? The the story of the woman at the well, particularly when you're talking about um, her her husbands, is not a conversation about soul ties, right? Women biblically and historically at that moment, their identity was wrapped around this notion of who who their husband was right so jesus one is coming to her and saying like who are your people like that's a real real conversation when she's Mm -hmm. like no like i ain't got no husband she may actually not because technically the one the man that she was with had not made an oath to um one stand as her husband but that scripture is not about soul ties it's about women's autonomy it's about 
how we see women culturally, um, it's not about soul ties. Like it's it's this funny thing that happens when we talk about soul ties is that they'll you people will say, well, what about this scripture? Well, what about that scripture? Yeah, well, I'm gonna say what about it because again, she she whitewashing it and and she flipping it and and it's wrong. When Jesus said to the woman at the well, "Go and bring back your husband," and she said, "I don't have a husband," she didn't say, "I'm a widow." She didn't say, "I'm divorced." She said, "I don't have a husband," and Jesus said you said that correctly he said but you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband see she completely skipped over the fact that jesus told the woman you've had five meaning i've seen you have five other men that you're not married to either but because you were doing married things with them i said you had five husbands because they should have been your husbands if you were doing what you were doing with them but she clearly didn't have a husband. So she completely dismissed that line and said, oh, well, it's because of her autonomy, because he was trying to check for her folks to see who her people are. And that was not the conversation. I'm sorry, y'all, but I, I get kind of frustrated a little bit when people do stuff like this because they're, the attempt is to fool people, and I'm not a fan of fooling people. I believe people need to know the truth. Okay, let's go back. You can go through a myriad of scriptures that say a whole lot of things, but you cannot divorce scripture from the context. One of the things that was really helpful to me in the Old Testament, um, taking the Old Testament, was talking about Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Hmm. And that if you are, here's the truth, if you are a people who have been in bondage and in exile and now you are free and you are trying to establish a government and you are you are trying to establish certain rules and regulations to now guide and govern yourselves by these are things that you're going to ask right these are things that you're going to mandate these are things that you're going to say and so you can't particularly when it comes to women you can't divorce scripture from the fact that culturally we are talking about a time in which women had no autonomy, right? Um, case in point, when we think about Vashti. Here, let me stop it right there. Her case in point is she's saying you can't divorce scripture from the text, but it seems that each and every time she brings up a, a, a story, that's exactly what she's doing. Um, when you talk about women's autonomy, Back then, it was the only women that were sleeping with men that they weren't married to were prostitutes. Women back then had a, a integrity. They were raised. Many of them were virgins until marriage because that was their custom back then. Nowadays, nobody cares about that. But back then, Leviticus days, they could be stoned for sleeping around. Those were the laws back then. So I'm not sure what, what she's referring to when she's talking about women and their autonomy and, and them having freedom to do anything and everything. They did not. And this woman that Jesus was addressing at the well 
was was in that category, which is why he brought up the fact that she was sleeping around. He brought it to her attention and let her know, I know what you're doing. All right, let's go back. Negate, like rejecting the king, that is always preached from the perspective that Vashti was wrong, right? Okay. This is a woman who asserts her dominance and her and her agency and says, I'm not going before the king, right? And so we what we get is Vashti is who you don't want to be. Esther is who you should aspire to be, right? Mm-hmm. When you read it, them jokers have been partying for six months, right? And and she was and it was a mess. And 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 scripture said there are various there are various cultural interpretations that say that he says come wearing your crown and that could possibly be that that was all he wanted her to wear right mm-hmm. but there are other ones that say just the fact of you wanting me to be around you and these drunk fools right i don't want to right the fact that she could say no and then he had the men in the country and the men in his in his uh cabinet you know in his ear like man you can't lead a country and your wife out here telling you that she ain't coming well it's time to get a new one you know and so like even how we understand scripture particularly from the perspective of women has never been one that affirms women's again she's talking about a time when women didn't have any rights for the most part vashti told the king no you didn't tell the king no it didn't matter that she was a queen and for her to say that he wanted her to show up in in a crown and a crown only i'm not even sure where she got that from at all i maybe maybe that was just to make her point but it's not true the bible doesn't say he requested her to show up naked with a crown on so again you don't tell the king no and because Vashti did that, she paid a heavy price. She was taken out of the kingdom. His advisors advised him and told him, you can't be the king and, and take that kind of treatment from your wife. And in those days, women were subservient. You can't compare that to 2020. Women nowadays will tell you to get lost or tell you where to go. But this was a kingdom back then that they were living in. So again, she, she, she's off with this. Let's go back. You know what? So interestingly enough, right? I was making this joke, and this is kind of how I was, uh, I interpreted the David and Bathsheba thing, right? It's In my life, it was often framed that Bathsheba went outside, she's taking a bath, you know what I'm saying? Like, she thirst trapping, right? That's how it's often framed, right? Somebody on Twitter uh, was like, actually, David, it could be, you could say that David raped Bathsheba. And I was like, hold on, what now? What you saying? And she said that he was the king and and you could not refute the king so that there was no consent. And I was like, okay, like I was just making the Bathsheba thirst trapping joke. I had not even thought about that. So I think there's a lot to uh, the the cultural times and these positions of power and and also who is preaching the word and what what is the message that they want to get across, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think... I'm sorry, my wife says that was Brittany, not Twitter. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, I apologize. I thought she was going to... 
even if she wanted to say no, she also has to think through her husband. Like her husband is is at war, right? Um, is one of David's uh, one of David's fiercest, right? And most devoted folks. Mm-hmm. What if she, if she says no? If she if she engages in any kind of agency around herself then what does that do how does that endanger him like these are all questions that which is why womanist theology black feminist religious thought matter because when black women when womanists get these texts they're preaching who's not speaking right Mm. we are preaching the the text from the historical analysis, they're preaching it from the angle and the aspect of Bathsheba. What was going through Bathsheba's mind? This isn't somebody who, who I want the king, right, <laughs> you know, right. my husband to come home. Like, that's who I want, you know? Yeah. What does it mean for, for Hagar to be a child, right? And, and to... Okay. This instance or this this example is is just the same as the other with Vashti. Uh, she was dealing with a king. David was the law. Whether he was right or wrong, he was the law. He was the king. He was the head honcho. So if he summoned for a woman in the kingdom, whether she had a husband or whoever, she was he she was brought to him. And and she didn't have a say so. And to tell you the truth, he could have taken her with Uriah knowing about it. But he chose to try to hide it from Uriah and he tried to chick, trick Uriah and get him drunk and all that to make him go back home to his wife and sleep with her just in case she was pregnant. So David was calculating on another level. And unfortunately, her being a woman in that day and age, there was really nothing, uh, not a lot she could do about it. He was the king. Be and to have Sarah. Yeah, Hagar was not a grown woman. <laughs> I, I didn't see her age in the message version. Yeah, Hagar was not this grown woman, right? Like she, she was her. Neither was Esther, but we don't we don't get to talk about that because when when folks read and, and get dates and ages, you find out folks 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. Like they were they were young girls, right? right. But like even the story of Hagar and and Sarah, right? That um, and I'm gonna plug a book here. Uh, her name is Dolores Williams. She wrote Sisters in the Wilderness. Um, I can't remember the subtitle. I think it's like the challenge. Okay, I'm gonna stop her again right here. Now she's jumped to Hagar, which was the servant girl of Abraham and Sarah. She's saying Hagar was a little girl and she didn't have any choice. According to the Midrash, which is a Hebrew the kind of backstory for many of the, the personalities we we read in the Bible, um, it, it kind of sets the stage for who Hagar really was. And according to that, Hagar was the daughter of a Pharaoh. She was sent home with Abraham and Sarah as a servant, not a slave. And there's a difference. Servants were, were treated different from slaves. Now, being an African-American, when I think of a slave, I think of chains and whips and all this other stuff. But there were servants that were treated well. And Pharaoh gave Hagar, his daughter, sent, him, sent her home with Abraham because he felt Abraham was a great man. And 
she was to stay there and dwell there as a servant. That does not mean that she was uh, uh, being mistreated or, or anything. Not only that, she actually was a concubine. And a concubine's position was if the if the wife couldn't have children or was barren, the concubine would, would, would provide an heir, which is what Hagar did. A concubine had rights and privileges. They just did not have the same status as a wife. And she goes on, this lady on the video, to talk about the story part of where they tell you, you know, Hagar got beside herself and, and, and you know, she didn't like Sarah anymore, which could very well have happened simply because, again, she was a concubine. So she was not on the same level as a wife, but her position was that of a, t a type of wife. So maybe she did get beside herself once she got pregnant. It happens. But she was not the, the poor begotten slave that, that this lady is, is, is portraying her to be. Of God talk, this God talk, I can't remember, but the name of it is Sisters in the Wilderness. She uses the story of Hagar, Sarah, and Abraham to, to distill the experiences of Black women in America. Right? That, like, here you have this woman, Sarah, who cannot have children. And she's like, look, I know you want one. I can't give you one. Just go have one with my servant. Right? Mm -hmm. Idea now that once Hagar has no choice in the matter, because she is a slave, um, she has no choice. Then she's pregnant. She get. She has. She has. According to the Midrash, Hagar made a choice to go with Abraham because she said that it'd be better to be his servant than for her to be a princess. So again, she may need to do some more research before she tells this story. Ishmael, and then the scripture does this funny thing that tries and we hear it preach that now Hagar because she got the baby starts acting you know brand new like she better than Sarah <laughs> in what enslaved context <laughs> does do you have you ever seen even you know women act, act like they are better than the mistress right mm -hmm. um the story then goes that when hagar is flees into the wilderness and god meets her there hagar is the only person in scripture that names god right you are the god who sees because you saw me right that there's something inherent about black women's experiences with both racism and sexism and they're fleeing into this wilderness for retreat okay so she's kind of referring to the book that she just uh kind of pubbed a few minutes ago but i just want to get back to we went all the way here from juanita bynum's no more sheets where juanita bynum was discussing uh sexual uh relationships between adults male and female that were are immoral, unlawful in the eyes of God. So I'm not sure how she got all the way over to everything that she went through, but I just wanted to 
go on the record saying that that is not accurate teaching from the Bible. And um, I really feel bad about the fact that people are actually buying into it. Transference of spirits, whether you want to name it a soul tie, I call it soul fusion. But if you want to name it a soul tie or, 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 or souls knit together, however you want to put it, Jesus said to become one. That tells me that spiritually you join yourself. And the, he even goes on after that to say what God have joined together, meaning what God have joined in the spirit, let no man, no flesh put asunder. So we need to think about when we attack the Bible, you know, with our carnal minds, you know, we need to pray and ask God to give us the revelation, to give us the spiritual meaning, because Juanita Bynum was describing the spiritual aspect of sex has nothing to do with any of the stories that this lady just talked about. So I'm going to stop here. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Is there such a thing as a soul tie? There are many people that say it doesn't exist. But according to the word of God, it does. Jesus didn't call it a soul tie but he did describe it as one. He discussed when two people have intercourse, man and a woman, that the two flesh become one. When we look at Adam and Eve in the beginning, Adam was one. The Bible says God put him to sleep and pulled out of his side a rib with which he created a woman, a counterpart for Adam. Now, initially, physically, he was one. After God separated the woman from him, physically he became two. But she was a part of him just the same. She shared his spirit. Once he knew his wife in a sexual manner, the Bible says two became one again. So even though they were separated physically, once they knew each other sexually, they became one all over again. This is how God designed sex, which is why he put it in the boundaries of marriage. Many people talk about soul ties and the standard question surrounding it would be, why don't they just leave them? And that's a good question. And physically, many times we do walk out of a relationship but because two have become one in the spirit through sexual intercourse, it's extremely hard for the spiritual side of it to separate. Physically, they may have, but the spiritual connection is not severed. Statistics show that between 50% and 75% of domestic violence homicides happen at the point of separation or after the victim has already left the abuser. The tearing of the soul is full of pain and full of grief. It's like mourning a loved one who has passed on. In abusive relationships, many of them become abusive because of the spiritual aspect of a soul tie. When you have sexual intercourse with someone, 
you're literally taking on a part of them. As I stated, Eve was a part of Adam spiritually. And when they came back together sexually, those two spirits became one, which means that they were one and the same again. So when we have sex, we become one with whoever that other person is. So whatever spirits that person have, whatever characteristics that person have, we're becoming one with it. We're taking on their essence and they're taking on ours. So imagine repeating this act with different people. You're taking on the essence of different people. You're taking on the attributes of different people. Imagine having 10 or 20 sex partners. Mentally, physically, and spiritually, that can drive you out of your mind. That's why some people, when they're separated from someone, can't take it. Because the spiritual pain, because there's a spiritual separation, and they cannot endure it. Many times the solution is to kill that person because to death do us part is a part of the vow of marriage, which is consummated by sex. So when we enter into sex, again, this is why God put it in the boundaries of marriage because he knew the potency of what he designed. And sex does exactly what God designed it to do. It makes two become one. It merges two people together as one. Anytime you don't use something for the purpose that it was created for, you abuse it. We do not use sex for the purpose it was created for. We use it as a good time. We use it as a pastime. We use it as something to to gratify ourselves with no thought of consequences or repercussions from it until something happens, like someone is murdered because they left someone who couldn't deal with the spiritual separation of a soul tie. Many times, these relationships are based off of of simple attraction. Not trying to get to know one another, just a physical aesthetic attraction. I like the way you look. You like the way I look. Okay, we end up in bed together. It's lust. It's not love. You lust for what you see right now. And then take something as serious as sex to fulfill that lust. Now you've bonded. And now there's an attraction that you can't even explain, that's beyond physical. Why can't you stop thinking about this person? Why can't you just walk away from this person? How come when you walked away from this person, they were on your mind constantly now? How come you felt a pull once you decided to get into another relationship with someone else? You felt a pull from this other person. People that are promiscuous, that have many sexual partners, struggle when it comes to marriage. Simply because you have too many people to compare your spouse to. You cannot be content with one person because you've opened yourself up to so many others.
So now you compare your spouse to this person. You compare your spouse to that person. Well, he doesn't do it the way he did it. She did. She doesn't do this the way that she did this. So now your marriage struggles simply because of the past. It's a consequence to sin, to sexual sin, to sexual immorality. It's a consequence. And these are the consequences. We have so many people now that cannot be faithful in their marriage. And this is the reason why. Their souls are tied to so many other people that they've slept with. And it pulls them. So they find themselves going with that attraction for somebody else. Because they like the way they look. Because they are full of lust. And they feel like they can't help themselves. But once we understand the potency of sex, once we understand the concept of a soul tie, then we can make better decisions when it comes to sexual activity. We'll understand that if we are going to impart or take part of this with someone, this is someone that we are intending to stay with for the rest of our lives. Because if not, then all we're doing is just separating ourselves over and over and over again. Many people struggle with schizophrenia. Many people struggle with voices. Many people struggle with so many spiritual demons inside them simply because they've opened themselves up sexually. Sex is a doorway. It opens you up. When a man enters a woman, he enters a spiritual place. Women are doorways. No person can be born in this world without coming through a woman. We bring from spiritual to natural as a doorway. So when a man enters into a woman, he's entering into a spiritual place. Once we understand that, we'll understand the concept of sex. So I just want to leave that with you to ponder and think about the next time you engage in sexual activity. Understand the importance of it. Understand the concept of it. Understand the consequences and repercussions of it because you're opening yourself up. I see many of these TV shows where uh, uh, there's one called For My Man where you see most of the time it's a woman that's committing heinous crimes simply because she've attached herself sexually to some person that had a murderous spirit or some person that had some evil demonic influence in them. And now this spirit is a part of her and now she's doing what this person did or everything this person tells her to do. It is now controlling her. And you hear her family's testimonies of, oh, how she was so such a nice girl and oh, she would have never done that before. And that's probably true. But because she became one with an evil, demonic influence in a man sexually, now she's doing his bidding. It's a very slippery slope. And it's not to be played with. We need to take it much more seriously than we do. Because our women and our men are dying simply because we don't understand it and we don't respect it. Sex is doing what God designed it to do, and we need to respect it.
Thanks for listening.